I'd my good morning to you all. It's a joy to be in the Lord's house, worshiping Him together and receiving grace so richly and freely through Christ our Savior. Let's turn to the Word of God now. Our Old Testament reading is 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. This is the Word of God. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue of camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almagwood and precious stones from Ophir, And the king made steps of the Almagwood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such Almagwood, nor has has the like been seen to this day. Now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants." In our New Testament reading, our sermon text is Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50. Matthew 12, 38 through 50. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. 
the queen of the south, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now and ask him to bless it to us. Lord God Almighty, by your word, all things exist. You spoke and created the heavens. You said, let there be light, and there was light. You, you spoke and you, you stretched out the, the, the skies and you, and, you, and you brought the stars into being. You created this world. You created us, man, in your image to know you and worship you and have fellowship with you. Father, by your word, you have sustained all things. You've carried all things along according to your perfect wisdom. And Lord, by your word also, you have revealed to us the glorious grace that is ours in Christ. That you hold out to us in Him. Lord, we pray that You would once again speak by Your almighty power and cause the light of the Gospel of the glory of God to shine in our hearts. Father, we pray that, that You would speak and, and wake us up from our Uh, from our slumber, our unbelief, our doubt, and our discouragement. Break our hard hearts and remake them soft and tender to You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was driving with my parents through Boston, and it was was busy, it was dark out, it was late. Uh, It was a family road trip, and I, I didn't know where I was going. And uh, my, my dad was in the seat beside me. He was navigating. He, he didn't quite know exactly where we were supposed to turn next, what exit we were supposed to take off the highway next. We're going along at a pretty good pace. And suddenly there was a median right there, a concrete median that comes to a point, and you have to choose, are we going to go right or left? Right, you're going pretty fast. You've only got a split second to make the decision. Neither of us knew which way to go. So you make a decision, right? You, you can't just not make the decision. That median is going to force you one way or the other. That's a picture for us of what's happening in Israel through Jesus Christ. As he comes to Israel, preaching, teaching, doing his miracles, he's like that concrete wedge. And it is driving right through the middle of Israel. Right? And forcing people are you, are you for me or against me? There's no neutrality. 
You, you, can't, you can't say, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to make up my mind. That's not an option with Christ. You either choose to be for Him or you choose against Him. You either choose the kingdom of heaven or you are choosing the kingdom of Satan. That's how, that's how uh, bluntly Christ has, has put this. There's no neutrality with Him. We saw this last week as we uh, looked through the, the previous section here in Matthew chapter 12. And we see it this week as well. Continuing to look here at chapter 12, towards the end of this chapter, we're seeing the results of that wedge that is being driven through Israel, this conflict between those who are choosing for Jesus and those who are choosing uh, against, against Jesus. And many, as it turns out, as we see in the text, many are rejecting him. Um, Many are turning against him. Uh, It's spearheaded by their religious leaders. It's this this effort against Jesus. Those who've decided against him are are, are led by the Pharisees. They're led by the the scribes. But it includes others as well, even some surprising uh, people, as, as we see in the text here. It seems like even some of Christ's own family, his brothers, are are turning and rejecting rejecting him. But we also see that some are trusting. Some are choosing Him by His grace. Uh, some, some are walking in obedience to Him. And, and, and as we read the text, the, 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 the choice is held out to us. Are you going to be for Him or against Him? Come join His kingdom. Come, come be a disciple. That's, that's the invitation that Christ holds out to us here. You, you can't sit back and, 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 and claim neutrality here. The narrative picks up right where we left off last, last Lord's Day. Jesus just gave that dire warning, remember, about the unforgivable sin, um, that, that some people will see exactly who He is, understand, yep, He's the Messiah, He's doing this by the work of the Holy Spirit. They see that, but they reject it. They deny it, and they say, no, that's the work of Satan. He, he's not the Christ, He's really the Antichrist. Uh, th- those, who, those who reject Him. Um, Jesus is picking up right where that warning left off. He's, he's just said that. And then the Pharisees and the scribes come up to Jesus. And they, we see in their, in their question to him that Jesus' warning to them about that unforgivable sin is, has fallen on deaf ears. They come up in verse 38. They say to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. What exactly do they, what do they mean? What are they asking for? We want to see a sign from you. Well, they're, they're asking for, for a miracle. They're asking for a display of supernatural power. But they want this, something that's, that's, that's like the equivalent of a flashing neon sign pointing to Jesus with a bright arrow. This is the Christ. Right? They, want to, they want to see something like that. Something equivalent of, of that. Something like uh, um, uh, that, that would show them so there's no more room for doubt that this is indeed the Christ. We might say, well, something like raising the dead? He's done that. Something like healing a blind man? Never been done before? He's done that too. Uh, something, something like healing a leper? Incurable disease? He's, he's done that as well. Uh, so, something, like, uh, something like casting out demons? Yeah, he's done that too. Right, they're asking for a sign, but the signs are everywhere. Perhaps uh, um, their, their problem is not that Jesus hasn't shown them enough evidence of who He is. The problem, of course, is that they hate what they see about who He is. They reject what they're seeing about who He is. They're not these innocent bystanders standing back and saying, well, I'm going to make a decision once, once I've seen enough evidence. Um, 
they're not neutral, they're not innocent. They have made themselves judge over Jesus. And, and they, have, uh, they, have, they have said, we will be the ones who decide who the Christ is. What kind of Christ we get. What kind of Messiah we get. And what kind of kingdom we get. We'll choose. We'll decide. Not you, Jesus. We are in charge of Israel, Jesus. That is the point they are making. They're, they're saying, you think you're the Christ? Prove it. They're not looking for truth. They're, this isn't a sincere question. Oh, if you'd only show us a sign, we'll believe. Or they are dead set against him. Jesus responds in verse 39. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. He sees right through what they're doing, right through what their question is, and he calls them out. You're an evil and adulterous generation, he says. Adultery is this language so often used in the Old Testament for spiritual idolatry, for, 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 for uh, turning from the Lord, worshiping other gods. Finding your satisfaction and your security and something besides the Lord is like a spouse committing adultery on, 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 on their spouse. And, and Jesus is taking that language from the Old Testament, which we see so, so, so much there in the Old Testament, and he's applying it to this generation. His words call to mind especially the generation that came through the Exodus. And, uh, and came into the wilderness, right? That generation that spent 40 years in the wilderness because they kept on hardening their hearts, stiffening their necks, digging in their heels against the grace of God. The wilderness generation saw wonders, didn't they? I mean, they saw Egypt, the greatest, most powerful nation, brought low by the hand of God. They were slaves in Egypt, and these people saw with their eyes God himself come down, put a force field around them, and put plagues all over Egypt, and then bring them out through the parting of the Red Sea. They, they saw that. They walked through the Red Sea, and then they rejected it. They rebelled. They worshipped other gods. They committed adultery against the Lord by worshipping idols. And so Jesus is saying, you are just like that because you've seen something so much better and greater than they saw. You see God himself come in the flesh. The Messiah. Not Moses. Right? The, the foreshadowing of the Messiah. But the real Messiah. He's come and he's raising the dead and casting out demons. And you're shaking your head and saying, it's the work of Satan. And you're hardening your hearts against it. You are an evil and adulterous generation. You have made an idol of your own agenda and your own opinions and your own desires and your own authority and your own, and your own, and your own pleasures, your prestige, your position. You've made an idol out of that and you won't bow to the true and living God, Jesus Christ. And they're standing there saying to him, prove to us you are the Christ. So Jesus says, you don't deserve a sign. A generation like this doesn't, doesn't deserve signs. You, you've, you've seen plenty. The whole history of, 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 of the, whole, the whole of the Bible is full of signs pointing to, to the fact that this is who the Messiah would be. Uh, my, my, my whole life among you, Jesus is saying, is full of signs showing, showing who the Messiah would be according to Scripture. So the only sign that I will give you now is the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? You can probably imagine confused looks coming over the Pharisees' faces, scratching their heads. What is he talking about? The only sign you'll get 
is the sign of Jonah? What kind of answer is that? What's Jesus talking about here? He spells it out in verse 40 for us. He says, For as Jonah was three days, uh, sorry, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know the Jonah story, of course. Jonah's running. He's a prophet of the Lord, but he's not a very good prophet. He's running away, doesn't want to speak the word of the Lord, running away from God. God sends a storm, forces him overboard, uh, sends a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah spends, spends three days in the belly of the fish before he's then vomited up on, on dry land. And, and there in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is in the depths of the sea in the belly of the fish, and he's crying out to God as though he has died. As though he's in Sheol, he's in the grave, he's in, he's in the realm of the dead, and he's asking God for, for resurrection. God answers. So this is, Jesus is saying, this is the sign you get, the sign of Jonah, as Jonah was three days in the fish's belly, the son of man, the Messiah, will be three days in the earth's belly, in the grave. This is the sign of Jonah. There would be a greater prophet who would, like Jonah, go down, down, all the way down to the, to the grave. This is what the Jewish leaders had missed, which they should have seen in Jonah, that the Messiah to come would lead a life of humiliation and suffering all the way down to death. That, that before he rose up in glory, first would be suffering, serving, and dying. Um, that, that this prophet who would come would be swallowed up, not by a fish, but by the earth. Not just brought low, close to death, but actually die and, 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 and actually be buried. This is the sign that Jesus is talking about. It's his own death and his own burial. Says, you'll see the one who's the Messiah. You'll, you'll, you, you should know the Messiah when you see him lifeless and buried in the earth. And that's when you should know this really is the Christ. When you see that He was crucified for your sins and then, and, then, and, then, and then buried dead in the earth and His body lays there lifeless for three days and three nights, that's the sign. That's the sign. And the Jews are offended by this picture of the Christ, aren't they? Uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, that's not the Christ we wanted. That's not what we ordered. Uh, we wanted a different kind of Christ, a different kind of kingdom. Not this lowly, meek, suffering Christ, this cross-bound, humbled, buried Christ. But what else speaks more powerfully about who He is? Brothers and sisters, what else speaks more powerfully of His love for you? That He would do that for you. That, that what, what else speaks more powerfully of, of how committed he was to obeying his Father, suffering for your sins, living that life of righteousness to, to give us, to, to, to bring us out of slavery to sin and out of death ourselves and into the sweet freedom of eternal life in, in, in the Lord. Nothing else calls us to, 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 to Christ with such a brilliant clarity as his suffering and death. And then, of course, his resurrection following. We see this very early on in Matthew. It's right there in his name. You shall call his name Jesus, the angel says in Matthew 1, for he will save his people from their sins by dying for them. That's the sign. 
That, that, that's, that's how you know this is the Christ. Suffered for you. Buried for you. Dead for you. The scribes and Pharisees want nothing to do with this suffering Christ. They'd rather destroy him. And Jesus says, this is going to be your judgment. The men of Nineveh, on the day of judgment, will rise up and, and say, we saw a humbled prophet and we listened to him. Jonah. Uh, uh, but you see the prophet, Christ himself, and you didn't listen to him. And, and Jesus says, the queen of Sheba will rise up on the day of judgment and condemn you. Because she heard about the wisdom of, of, of the great king Solomon. And something greater than Solomon is here. The, the, the far greater king of wisdom who's preaching with so much more wisdom and so much more authority than Solomon ever had is, is here and he's preaching to you and you're stuffing your fingers in your ears and refusing to listen. The kingdom of heaven is here. Something so much greater is here and you are rejecting it. And so all these, all these ones from the past will rise up and, and condemn you on the day of judgment. Brothers and sisters, um, what, about, what about you? Will you accept this suffering Christ? Put your trust in this Messiah crucified for you, the Son of Man humbled for you? Bow to this kind of a king and receive him? Will you accept the sign of Jonah? This is the point of that wedge driving through Israel uh, and continuing to drive through the whole world. Will you accept this Christ? Are you for him or against him? It's a stumbling block uh, to Jews. It's foolishness to Greeks, but to those who believe, it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. Jesus won't let the point go. He keeps driving this. He knows this is the point. And he keeps pushing it forward. He, he presses it harder and harder. He goes on in verses 43 to 45, and he uses an, an illustration now to drive, drive this point home. Uh, this point about how important it is that we turn, accept him, trust him, receive him, follow him uh, with all our hearts. Uh, as we move into this next section, verses 43 to 45, at first it seems like he's, he's completely switching topics. He starts talking about demon possession and uh, the, the situation where you have uh, uh, the, this, this one demon is, is cast out of someone, go gets more, go gets more demons, brings them back. What's going on uh, in these verses? Um, well, just... Remember the context of demon possession here. As, as Jesus starts talking about demons, um, remember that at this point in history, something very unusual is going on. Uh, demonic uh, uh, beings are, are swarming over Judea at this time. Right? This isn't something you see in, in Genesis or Joshua or, uh, or, or, or 1 Samuel. Right, in the Old Testament. You don't see much of this going on. But in the Gospels, it's all over the place. Satan is unleashing everything to try to stop the kingdom of heaven from coming. Um, there's this all-out war going on between Jesus and, and these, these powers of darkness. So we see him casting out demons all over the place uh, with, with great authority. Uh, so Jesus is, is pointing out this illustration here, and he's saying, once a demon's been cast out of someone... Um, it goes out trying to find a, another place to be, a, a place to rest. And, and um, if it can't find it, it comes back to the same person that it left before. And um, uh, uh, this time, 
bringing along seven others, just as uh, even more wicked than itself, finds the person empty, put in order, and ready to be repossessed and, and retaken over all over again. And it's, and it's much, much worse uh, this time than it was than it was at first. Now, it's a terrifying thought, isn't it? The, the picture he's painting there of, of someone who's been freed from a demon and then eight demons come back and repossess you even worse than before. And the, the slavery that would be uh, as that, these demonic powers come back with a vengeance over you. But the point of what Jesus is saying here is not this, not an obscure point about, about demonic oppression or, or the way demons operate. His point is that uh, he gives it right to us. Verse 45, he says, this is what it will be like for this wicked generation. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. He's, he's aiming these words right at the hard hearts of those who are refusing to repent. And his audience, he's, he's saying, do you want to know what you in this idol-worshipping and hard-hearted generation are like? You're like a man who's been repossessed with demons seven times over. Your situation now is, is much worse than it was before. Because... Jesus has come to this generation. Right? He's come. He's brought the light of the gospel. He's cast out the forces and powers of darkness. He's, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to them. That, that's like that first being freed from that, that, that demon. Um, but this wicked generation of Israel is not following him, not choosing discipleship. They're, 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 they'll receive healing from him. Happy to bring the sick and have them be healed. Uh, they'll, they'll have the demons cast out. But so many of them are not in turn following him with all their heart, and being filled with the Spirit of God. They are tasting the goodness of the kingdom of heaven, but they're not really coming to faith in Jesus Christ and following Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, you're in danger of just falling back into slavery much, much more to sin and the powers of darkness all over again. That you're, when, when you, if you persist in seeing what the gospel is, but not following Christ, then your heart will become ossified, fossilized, hardened, and you won't find repentance. It's the same warning he was giving us last week about the unforgivable sin. That if you don't respond to faith in Jesus, especially after you've enjoyed something of what it means to belong to the church and something of the joy of the Holy Spirit, if you've tasted something of what the means of grace are, right, but then you walk away, you are in so much danger. That's the warning Christ is giving us, loved ones. That God will give you over to the kingdom of Satan. You must be either for him or against him. You can't be neutral. You must be a wholehearted disciple. And if you're not, then you are enslaved to the powers of darkness. As Jesus is saying all this, uh, driving this point home, making his, making his point so unmistakably clear, his mother and his brothers arrive. They're looking for him. Uh, as, we, as we read on in the passage here, uh, the, uh, we see his mother and brothers. They come. They're looking for Jesus. They, the text doesn't tell us why they are looking for him here, but I don't think it's because they want to be his disciples, sit under, sit under his teaching and, and follow him wholeheartedly. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 5 says, Not even his brothers believed in him. 
Um, Mary and Jesus' brothers, his mother and his brothers, are his immediate family. What opportunities they've had. They have grown up with the Christ in their house. They have seen him in his perfect righteousness every day of his life. They've heard his words. They've, they, 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 they've seen his, his kindness and his love and his holiness and his righteousness. They've had so much opportunity to get to know Christ. Surely if anyone can claim uh, privileges from Christ on the basis of, a, of, a, of, a, of association, if anyone can get into the kingdom of heaven just by association with Christ, surely it's his mother and his brothers. If an outward relationship with Christ is enough for anybody, surely it's his mom and his brothers. But Jesus makes it clear here, not even his mother and brothers can come into the kingdom of heaven by an outward relationship with him. An outward relationship is not enough. Seeing his miracles isn't enough. Receiving his miracles isn't enough. Belonging to the visible covenant community, the visible family of God, is not enough. It doesn't make you automatically a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's true of his family, his, his literal physical family. It's true of the Pharisees as well. They are so close to Christ. They see so much of what he's done. They're so, so similar to him. They probably looked, looked something similar to him, being, being a, a, of the same ethnicity, the same culture. Um, uh, but, but none of that counts with Christ. The externals don't count with him. Um, you can grow up in church, never miss a Sunday. You can get all the awards in Sunday school for memorizing all the verses. Um, uh, uh, you, you, can, you can go through youth group and, and, and you can join the church. And it's all wonderful. It's all good. But it doesn't save you. If it stays on the outside, you can still do all of those things and like the Pharisees, be dead set against him or like his family, not be wholeheartedly for him. We've seen this often, right? Someone grows up in the church has some of the marks of being a disciple of Christ, seem, seems to be receiving it, but then someday they walk away because it was never a matter of the heart. So what matters? The median, right, that wedge that Christ drives through. What's the evidence that you have put your faith in him, that you are for him, that you're not against him? Jesus tells us here, his discipleship, he, he, he points to his disciples. He says, here's my family. Here are my disciples. Here are those who are in the kingdom. Here are those who belong to me. Um, uh, uh, he, he's probably referring to the 12 disciples. He's probably referring to others there as well who aren't in that closest inner ring, but are, are still his followers who still love him and listen to him and hang on his words and who are all in on his kingdom. Um, Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is what marks you out, as Jesus says, um, as belonging to him as a disciple. When you're a student of Jesus, are you a student of Christ? Is he your teacher? When you know that you're not teaching the class, Jesus is teaching the class, and you're listening. He talks and you listen. You know he's wise. And you know that you are not. That you know you don't know what to believe on your own. Jesus does. So you listen to him. You don't know how to live on your own. Jesus knows how to do that. So you listen to him. 
You lean on His understanding. His words are more precious to you than all the money in the world. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a student. Not only in, in your mind, a disciple also means uh, that, that, you, that you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, that you want your mind to think like His mind and you want your heart to love like His heart, to be tuned to His affections in perfect pitch. And that, that you want your will also, right? your choices to line up with, with His will, your, your life to be a life of obedience to Him. This is where Jesus lands here. He says, it's whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. This is the simplest test of all for whether or not you're a disciple of Christ in, in, in His kingdom. Do you, do you do the will of the Father? Do you obey the Father? We probably like to think we do. Are you filled with a, a real desire, a real ambition for more obedience a life that is closer in conformity to His law, not saying, I, I think I'm at a pretty good plateau in obedience, but I want more obedience, Lord. Teach me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm wrong and show me how to change, Lord. Is that you? That's discipleship. A surrendered heart given over to Christ, following Him, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, that's what marks you out as belonging to me and belonging to my family. Well, if that's what discipleship is, and if that's what it means to belong to his family, what hope do we have? If that's, if that's the school, we probably all have a failing grade. But look at the disciples Jesus is pointing to. Peter. Hot-headed, quick-tempered, Full of a, making a fool of himself, Peter. And he's, he's pointing to uh, James and John who argued about who was going to get the best seat in the kingdom of heaven, who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. He's, he's pointing to Thomas, doubting Thomas. He's probably pointing to Matthew himself, our narrator here. Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the sinner. What a thrill of joy must have shot through Matthew's heart when he heard Jesus say this. Here's my brother. When Matthew heard him say that, and, and he probably remembered this moment with crystal clarity, that, that me, a sinner, a failure, the, all the disciples must have felt this. I'm so slow to learn what Jesus is trying to teach me. I'm slow to conform my life to His. I, I, I'm slow to, to receive His means of grace. But He calls me His brother. Discipleship is not about... It's, it's about following Christ with all your heart, but it's not about being perfectly righteous. It's about being forgiven of your sins by Jesus Christ and counted righteous before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's, it's that life of repentance and, 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 and forgiveness and then walking on in new obedience. One day, praise God for His grace, the very brothers who are here asking to speak to Jesus, probably because they want to quiet him down so he doesn't embarrass the family, one day these very brothers are going to come to faith in him. The, those who even write some of Scripture. 
And, and one day, a Pharisee, a self-righteous, proud, hard-hearted Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus is going to be humbled and, and brought to faith in this Christ. See the grace of God in Christ. So even hard-hearted Pharisees aren't beyond the grace of God. Don't you want Jesus to say, you're my brother, you're, you're, a, you're a sister, you're, you're a disciple. That's the highest privilege that we could imagine. And here's the king of heaven, the one greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, the king of righteousness and peace who's come to lay down his life for sinners so they can have a place in his kingdom. And he comes and he gives himself to you. He says, come to me and trust in me, follow me. So brothers and sisters, don't harden your heart against this Christ. Don't, don't harden your heart and also don't stand off in a supposed neutrality that you don't have to follow him with all your heart. It's a dangerous place to be. Follow Christ. Embrace Christ. Trust Him with, 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 with everything. And He will indeed receive you as His brother, His sister, uh, one of His own covenant family. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice that You sent Your Son and we rejoice in His grace for sinners, His grace for us. Lord, we pray that by Your almighty power, by Your Holy Spirit, You would grant us the grace of faith that we might forsake all and take Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.